Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We're here today on Crew Call with Guy Nativ, the director of the new Helen Mirren drama, Golda, about the Iron Lady of Israel, Golda Meir. Welcome, Guy. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. With Golda, I get the sense that this is like a godfather film for you in your career, that there was an immense amount of challenges in putting it together and a gratification finally seeing it released. Can you tell us about how everything came together here, how you got Nicholas Martin's script, how long and how long have you been wanting to make a film about Golda Meir? It was an open assignment for directors. Um, I was, um, it was even before Skin, uh, 2018, I think. I read uh, uh, Nicholas Martin's script. It was a completely different script than what we have now as a movie. It was more of a large, um, kind of a war movie in a way. And Golda was a, a just a small part of it and i came in and i and i said listen i'm i i love i i love the approach but i do need to get in there and do my authentic writing here with nicholas and to bring authenticity and also um i think we should focus more on golda for me it's like golda's requiem in a way um than than just watch another war movie you know um that was my approach and uh they were keen to hear my pitch i did my pitch i told them that i want to go under her skin to to understand to have her basically um isolated lonely and sick and and to bring this to the script uh, means that we have to sit down and just do a whole a whole new version and, and Nicholas was open to it. Um, so was the producer and, um, you know, we just, we just worked on that. And when I arrived, Helen was already attached to the project. So, um, basically I, I it was her grandson, um, uh, <clears throat> that, uh, thought that, um, Helen Mirren uh, could play his grandmother. She, he just saw his grandmother in Helen Mirren. Uh, so I guess he told the producers that and they act accordingly. So she was attached and I was, I was really happy to meet her. Um, and that's how we started to, and to see if we are on the same page, if Helen agrees to the, to the way I took the film, because it's not your typical biopic from birth to death. It's not, it's not this canvas. It's something more specific, more, um, you know, magnifying glass into a specific, uh, time in her life. So was the financing all together for the movie, but by the time that you had arrived? No, actually it was, uh, I think the financing was there, but, um, then the pandemic happened and reshuffled everything. Um, 
And then Helen just told us, listen, I'm, I'm still attached and I'm still there. If you, if you need to, you know, if you need to bring, bring the, the budget, um, back and that's where the amazing Bleecker street and embankment came on board and said, um, we love the script. We love, we love how this, the, the way this film is going. And, and they, they just, you know, made that happen. So let's give us a little history lesson. So Golda Meir is the only woman to serve as the prime minister of Israel. And she was chosen for the job just before the 1969 elections following the death of Levi Eshkol and ended her job in 74. And until 1974, she was the only woman to serve as a member of any cabinet. But tell us more. What, what does she mean to, to, to the Israeli people? And why does it boggle the mind that she's still the only woman that was ever elected to the top spot? So, Anthony, you have to understand, this is not just for Israel. This is the one female leader the world had at that era, right? In the, in the 70s or in, this, in the modern era. Um, I think she paved the way to other female leaders like her, like Margaret Thatcher and then Angela Merkel and more. But she, she was... By the, by the way, she didn't want to be a prime minister. She she was just like thrown there. You know, she was just. It's because the Labour Party did not know who to choose. They was they were fighting between themselves, and you know, no one agreed on on any one candidate. I know Dayan wanted to be prime minister. Uh, thank God he wasn't. Um, and and they said, you know what? Let her be the prime minister until we figure out who's the right person. That's how it went down. So basically she was like, I don't want to be prime minister. I'm a, I'm a great, you know, uh, foreign, foreign affair minister. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm great in what I'm doing. What do you, what do you, why you do, why me? And they said, you know what, just, it's just be prime minister for, for a year or two. And then we'll, we'll elect a new one. So she found herself in a position that she didn't want to be in because most prime ministers are chasing this role, you know? And, 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 and she was like, uh, kind of, uh, you know, kind of a bandaid until they find someone else, but she found herself, um, she was kind of the wrong person in the wrong time in the wrong place because she found herself in the more horrific, the most horrific, um, war in the history of our country, the Vietnam of Israel. Right. And, and then she became the scapegoat because everybody blamed the, the it was easy to blame the woman the older woman in the room, right? All those misogynist, misogyny commanders. So, you know, it's, it's very, very complicated situation. She was, she made history without even wanting to make history. She wasn't, and then she was, uh, used as the face of the failure. And when the protocols came, start to come out, the, uh, the, the, uh, uncensored documents start to come out 10 years ago from, the war room from the meetings, from the government meetings, from all the stuff that were high classified, like classified top secret. We understood that the narrative was not that she was to blame, but it was much more complicated than she relied on her dysfunctional commanders that proof that, that did a lot of wrong stuff that almost brought us to a total devastation. 
And knowing that, you knowing that, that was always the way in with this movie. It was always the, the Yom Kippur War. So the the script before I came was around Yom Kippur War. Yeah, the 10 days of the war. It was never like a biopic, like, you know, like the crown, right? Uh, because it, it, in order to make a biopic on Gola, you need like five hours or more. So the, the film, as like the queen, concentrate on a specific moment in her life. I, I could call it the requiem for a leader, you know, because her, her dying is our country dying, basically. She's killing herself mentally and physically while the country is dysfunctional, the command room is dysfunctional, and the smoke in their eyes is basically the smoke of war, the tug of war. So, so yeah, it's, it's a very specific time. And, and when I spent, Helen came to my house in the middle of the pandemic, we sat for four hours and we agreed that we want to get under her skin, her, her very um, dry and dead skin that's similar to the desert, that the Sinai desert. Why do you think there hadn't been a biopic of her before? You know, it's a great question, Anthony. I think that, um, you know, it takes few generations to digest the trauma. I think that uh, like like JFK, you know, when you see the first Oliver Stone movie, JFK, it, it happened like 40 years after what happened, right? Um, and I think that's, that's a similar um, kind of thing that the generation of my dad who fought the war couldn't really cope. It was too... It was an open wound that, that, you know, we lost like 200 and 700 soldiers and we were a small country. We were like a kind of Ukraine in a way. So it's, it's almost like the U.S. losing 150,000 soldiers in a war. It was devastating. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full worth limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Speaking of your father, um, you were with him around Tel Aviv, right, in, in the protests. I went with my with my dad to a protest that we call the Yom Kippur of Democracy. Um, we are fighting for the future of this country that is in great danger because of the Benjamin Netanyahu um, regime that I call extreme and dangerous uh, that want to decimate the high court and the judicial system in order to save himself um, from a trial. Uh, and make Israel uh, like Poland, Hungary, Turkey, and Russia. And this is something my generation and my father's generation who fought the war, who wore T-shirts that said, I am a 73-year-old, I'm I'm, I'm from the 73 generation, I'm fighting again for the Yom Kippur of democracy. We will not let that happen. And, and I hope that the judicial system will block Bibi and his crazy ideas. Um, and also the, the extremism of religious people in Israel right now. You know, like two days ago, 
um, there were two ladies that tried to get on a bus and then uh, the, the driver told them, you are not allowed to go. It's only for men. It's almost like Iran. You know, it's like this country is really became so extreme. So we all feel this is the Yom Kippur War and not because of our enemies around us, but because uh, we are doing it to ourselves in a way. So, yeah, a lot of people feel that this movie is almost like a full circle. That they feel that it's like Yom Kippur all over again when the, when the, when the commanders were blind, like Benjamin Netanyahu and his, and his people are blind to what's going on. And to all the, and to all the army men who says, Hey, we're not come, we're not going to serve the army if that's, if that's the case. We're not, we're not serving a king. We're serving a kingdom. You know, when, when it comes to movies that have Israeli subject matters, um, you know, I think, I think of Steven Spielberg's Munich. That was also met love with. Love this movie. Love this movie. I love it too. Great I think, movie. I think it's phenomenal. At the time of release, it was also met with division and controversy uh, from what you would think would be its core audience. Um, that said, I want to let's start with were you surprised when a big deal was made in the media over Helen Mirren playing Golda? Because I mean, looks wise she looks she's like a dead ringer for her like it just seemed i'm just curious were you shocked at the extreme pushback over that were you were you expecting that i'm jewish i'm israeli both of my grandparents are holocaust survivors there's no one more sensitive than me when somebody is portraying a jew in the wrong way but and it's a big but um, Helen Mirren portrayed Golda in a brilliant way. She is Golda. She has um, the neshama. We call it neshama. She has the, the Golda's, Golda's soul. She has a Jewish soul. She was 29 when she went to the kibbutz, picked tomatoes in 1967 and uh, toured the country from north to south. She slept on the beach and a lot. She is like, you know, she, she has Israel in her DNA and she felt to me like she's a family member, like she's my mother, you know, like I'm speaking to my mother. So I understand when it's the wrong, um, person to, to portray such a character, but Helen Mirren was so right. And again, I was told and I spoke to Golda's grandchildren who told me, listen, from all the people in the world, we feel that Helen is our grandmother. She has the compassion, the compassion. She has the humor. She has the intelligence. She has this kind of a very confident um, gravitas to her. And you know what? She brought us to the role. She brought this humor. She brought this kind of like, she was her in a way. So from the Berlin from the film playing at Berlin and at the uh, and at the Jerusalem Film Festival and in early screenings here in LA, what struck you about the turnout? We screened it in front of six thousand people in Jerusalem, and I, I had people in tears, people that are war veterans, people every look, everybody in Israel, every single person has some kind of correlation to the Yom Kippur War either a neighbor, either a brother or sister or father, they all were very touched. 
and the new narrative that kind of like cleaning Golda from not all the wrongdoings, but from some of them and not only putting her as a scapegoat. I think that a lot of people felt is the right move, especially in Israel. And I think that um, if you talk about American Jews, they also felt felt the same because Golda, you have to understand, in 1974, she was on the front of, of a Newsweek, the Israeli Newsweek, uh, her face in a very unflattering um, photo, close-up, and a, a giant um, slogan, a giant like headline saying the debacle. She took the blame. She took all the bullets. And she said, it's on me. And she resigned, by the way. Show me a leader that will resign today because of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a war that did not, you know, did not go well. Later on, we understood that the intelligence um, division fucked it up. And, you know, there were so many fuck-ups around, around uh, Golda. So her, her name was cleaned a little bit and she, we, I showed her as, we showed her as human. And you have to say, until now, people saw her on a, on a 50 shekel bill, on a, on a school name, on a, like a statue, but no more, not more than that. When does the movie open in Israel? Mm, Stem day is here, 25th. When does it, um, who's handling it? United King. United King. And and what's your anticipation? Is it well, first of all, was it released was it was it met with any kind of pushback by sensory boards or anything like that? Or was In it In Israel? Yeah. No, no, not at all. I mean look, everything is out there already, Anthony. Everything is like all the protocols, the agronauts committee, the secrets, the lies, the everything is out there. So no one is like, oh my God, you know, no one is surprised. But I think there's a lot of, I, okay, here's the thing. I think that we miss people like Shimon Peres, like Menachem um, Begin, like, like uh, uh, Rabin, like, you know, like uh, we miss people with integrity, humble people that, that um, cared about the country more than themselves. But now what you see now is totally, you know, corrupt. So we kind of, when people see Golda, they miss the old time Israel, the, 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 the classic leaders that built this country. Tell us about Harmonia. Is there a chance you're still going to go with that when the strikes are lifted? Like, do you, I mean, I know I heard that you had a cast together, but it's not, you know, is, is it, do you think the project is a go project after the strikes let up? Yeah. Unless they told you something that I don't know. Are you allowed to tell us who's in the cast? No, I'm not allowed. I, I, I'm very, very excited about this cast. It's like, it's like really, it's a dream to work with these people, with these women, because it's all women. You know, it's like my mother, my aunt, the cult leader and my grandmother. So it's like a, a four uh, assemble of four amazing, powerful women. This is my most personal story. You know, my grandmother was a um, in a cult, in a female cult, and she joined it after you know she's a Holocaust survivor, and she joined uh, the cult after those like in the eighties when she was fifty. Uh, she had those post trauma depressions from the Holocaust, and this woman just made her happy, but also took her money 
and she divorced my grandfather and she left us and she gave her all the reparation money from Germany and she brought her to Virginia in the middle of nowhere in a place called Yogaville, which is in the Buckingham County. And she bought the plantation and she was like kind of a, the queen and all these 37 women around her um, in, a, in a place that you don't have even a cell reception. Um, it was in the 80s and my grandmother was her right hand, her geisha, her lover, her everything. Until cut to two years later when my mom and my aunt are flying to Virginia to save grandma and bring her back home. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's the most, I wrote the script like five years ago and now it's come to fruition, but I like, I, I love me directing it now because I think I'm, I'm mature enough to do it. I think it's, it sounds like such an intriguing feature. Let me, let me ask you this, as far as when you were collecting facts about for the story, what was it? Was it mostly through your mother's, your mother's and your aunt's account? My mother, my aunt, and a diary that my grandmother um, wrote and got to my hand after I visited the cult in Virginia. And the woman was, she trusted me and she gave me my grandmother um, diary. And I interviewed um, ex-cult members that got out of the cult and a doctor uh, in Virginia. And I, I did a mini documentary just to do research for all of it. Guy Nativ. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.